Welcome everyone to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Harry Foku, and today we are talking about the effects of AI on gaming in the coming years. And today I'm joined by Ben Mates, Senior Vice President for Future of Gaming and Angry Birds Brand Strategy at Rovio, Richard Rydell, the Chief Operating Officer at Solidicon, Mike Niergaard, Head of Research at Defion, and Heiki Pekka Neuronen, HP, aka known as HP, Game Director and Lead Programmer at Action Squad Studios. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Everyone here has brought a question to ask the other guests, so we're going to get straight into it with some introductions. So it's so a short introduction. Ben, let's start with you. Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I've been at Rovio for uh, three years, uh, but I've been uh, in game development uh, for over 20. Uh, I've been a designer, a programmer, uh, a producer, um, and and now I wear a variety of different hats. Uh, but at Rovio, I guess I focus on sort of two main areas. The first is um, I spend some time thinking about where gaming is going. Uh, where entertainment is going, uh, trying to stay abreast of trends like AR and VR and AI and the metaverse and you know when it was a thing, crypto and all of that sort of stuff, and trying to understand how uh, Rovio can embrace that, um, and in certain instances, you know, be a driver of that. Uh, and then the other thing that I'm just really passionate about is storytelling in general. Uh, I worked on games like Prince of Persia and Assassin's Creed and Batman Arkham and that kind of thing. So. Games with story and world and lore have always been close to my heart. And so very quickly when I came on, I um, sort of, I don't know, latched on to Angry Birds and how expansive an IP that is with all of its various transmedia components. And so um, I help lead uh, that part of, um, of, of, of the brand at Rovio as well. And I'm really happy to be here. Fantastic. Such a cool title. It's, such a, <laughs> it's a little, it's a little, it's a little long. It's, yeah, yeah, but it makes sense. I mean, you just explained why. There's a lot to it. Uh, sweet. Uh, over to you, Richard. Yes. Uh, so I'm currently working at Solar Icon. So basically, what we do is we're building entertainment. You can say. So we focus on virtual sports game and casino games for uh, for for the African market currently. And uh, I haven't been that long into game development. I've just been working here for half a year. But I have been working uh, a lot with uh, Ben. What you said was uh, a hype before blockchain and NFTs and the metaverse. So since 2018, I've been heavily involved in, in the blockchain sphere. And there it has been a lot of talks. And uh, the projects that I've been involved in has been also about data privacy and how, you know, uh, how, how data is valuable. Uh, you know, it's the new oil. It's the new gold of the of the of the world and uh yeah of course ai ai is based on data so that's that's my passion uh data and uh working a lot with you know uh keeping transparency when it comes comes to ai because that's a huge problem today and the blockchain so i have a bit mixed uh, mixed background uh coming from uh, automotive aerospace industrial automation e-commerce life science and now it's gaming so i hope i can contribute to this podcast thank you very much over to you mike yeah uh, so I was uh, born as a hacker. So early in my career, I did secure algorithms and network security and hacked things for money and that sort of thing. But eventually I was raised as an applied information uh, theorist. And so I wound up uh, doing a lot of detectors and classifiers and hooking on to vast data streams uh, before that was cool. And so I spent about 20 years doing that for national laboratories in the United States. Uh, and then eventually we decided on a change. I got on at uh, Philips, uh, which became Signify Lighting. And I uh, specialized in uh, helping them analyze their Internet of Things data. And uh, then I wound up at Defion which is in a way a gaming studio uh, and they focus on digital healthy lifestyles intervention. 
So I came over as the data science and AI lead because anytime that you're going to craft a relationship between um, a healthy lifestyle intervention and a user, there is of necessity data. You have to remember everything the user ever said to you, and you have to understand the implications of what they said. Uh, and now I'm the head of research at Defion, so I have responsibility for the recommendations. I have responsibility for the decisions, for the selector of the user campaigns and that sort of thing. So that's me. Fantastic. And finally, HP. Okay, yeah. So I'm HP Conoron. I'm currently working at Action Squad Studios. So title was Game Director slash Lead Programmer slash lots of other things in a small company like this. Uh, my background is lots from programming sides of things. So so I got more in-depth into programming somewhere in mid-90s and, and was first working on the commercial games early 2000 when I was working on the Bugbear Entertainment. Then I've also been working on Red Links. And, uh, and in between, I had eight years stint on the, on the healthcare software development, actually. So so I've been doing lots of things in there, been actually programming all the time as well, but been running teams and and doing organizational stuff and, and mentoring and coaching software teams and that kind of stuff. So uh, for me, AI has been a sort of passion for a long time. Uh, I think on the I've been programming some AIs for the, for the games I've been working. Actually, on all games I've been working, I've been doing the AI stuff. Uh, but also in early 2000, I got really interested, interested on what neural networks could do back then and, and so on. So I'm really excited of, of what is happening now, the current current change in there that, in my opinion, will change everything, not in just in gaming, but, but everywhere. And, and it's really hard to predict and see what is going to happen, but it's lots of fun trying to do it. So yeah. Fantastic. I'm really excited for today because I feel like everyone has such a different background. However, there's always an AI link to it. And I think, especially with this, when we're covering such a broad topic with like the future of gaming and AI, I'm very excited because uh, I feel like everyone can have a different perspective and hopefully we get a lot out of this. So let's get straight into it. Uh, HP, what is your question and the context behind it? Yes. Uh, my question is, uh, what kind of game mechanic change can you imagine a new way of AI to be bringing into games in the next couple of years? So going exactly in inside the games instead of making the games. What kind of game changes you see there? Lovely. I want to take this first to Ben. Ben, what do you think? <laughs> uh, interesting. Yeah, this was this was the question I probably spent the most time thinking about. Um, uh, and my mind went first to um, some things that maybe feel a little obvious or rather things that I've read in a lot of other places. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, infinite customizability in games seems like on the cusp, like it's very close, right? You can have your avatar look however you want. You can have the worlds probably be, you know, whatever auto generated, you know, there's, there's that sort of stuff, sort of infinite customizability aesthetic customizability seems relatively close. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stuff on uh, AI and NPCs, right? So NPCs talking, you know, infinite variability, different sort of personalities, all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, that that's pretty interesting. And and I've heard a lot of people talk about this idea of sort of, um, you know, the, the running commentary, right? You know, almost like your own personal narrator while you're playing, you know, ingesting everything that you do because... Uh, either it's it's analyzing your input prompts or it's actually analyzing the video feed and and somehow intelligently you know commenting on that. I've I've heard a lot of people talk about that and 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 so you know for sure there's a lot of interesting features that seem like they're you know on the cusp inside what we currently think of as video gaming. Like you've got a pad in your hand or you're looking at the screen or you're touching the screen, but you know really sort of screen based. But um. There were two AI startups in the last uh, few weeks that that caught my attention. Uh, so one is Humane. You maybe saw that at the TED Talk. Um, it's a bunch of ex-Apple engineers who've developed a little device that you sort of stick in your pocket. And uh, it's like your own personal AI. It's not connected to a phone. Somehow, magically, it sort of can see the world, listen to you, 
talk to you through an earpiece and it's like your own personal little AI assistant. Uh, and then there's Rewind. Uh, so they made all sorts of news because, you know, whatever, they raised millions of dollars very, very, very quickly, very much in the open. Um, and uh, they basically listen to and record your whole life, all of your digital, everything that the AI can listen to. And then, you know, you can talk to it and say, what was I wearing on uh, my wife's birthday last year? And it can hypothetically like help you retrieve that information. And the two of those things combined, in my mind, equals her, right? You remember that fantastic movie with Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson, where, you know, you have these little AI enabled earpieces and they're your constant AI companion. I mean, we are almost there. And that to me makes not just the world, but your entire life, the canvas for video, for gaming, for entertainment. And that's a fundamental change when walking through the park, you're a little bit bored and your, your, your eight-year-old son, I have an eight-year-old son, is wanting to play and wanting to do something. And, and you say, you know, hey, personal AI assistant, invent me a game to play right here, right now, in this space, in this context with my son. And boom, you have some sort of novel experience that you never had before. Those sorts of things, they're not here today, but they're not all that far off if, if we sort of see the trends of, of where some of this stuff is going. And that to me is, is, you know, is fascinating. It's not how is AI going to allow us to make characters faster or make worlds more variable inside the context that we currently think of when we think video games. It's rather, what does this paradigm unlock? It, it's novel. It's new. It's, it's not necessarily things that we've thought of before. And, you know, that's really exciting to me. I really like that. It's like procedural generation on fire because you have AI doing it instantaneously for you based on your context and your history. And I can imagine that with so many applications, like so many different types of games. Yeah. And, and you know, ideally, you know, within all the data protection stuff, which I'm sure Richard will talk a lot about, right? But like, like you know, within the context of you, right? So, yeah. you know, if, if my data was safe and I felt confident that it was safe, I would want AI to know everything about me. I would want it to know what I like, what I don't like, when I'm happy, when I'm sad, what I'm allergic. I would want that. And I would want, uh, you know, I would want the, the, the potential to be unlocked of, of what an AI who knew me intimately could do in terms of, you know, effectively gamifying my life. I would welcome that again, you know, assuming that, assuming that I wasn't worried that I was just going to have ads pushed on me in my sleep. <laughs> ben, just, just uh, to add on that, we talked a lot about that, you know, that in the future, maybe people will be born with like a private key on a blockchain where all the data has been stored. And then you can, you know, use this data to create uh, a personal assistance. It could be for games or for shopping or for, you know, for anything that you, but the thing is that, as you say, you control the data, so nobody can push commercial to you, for example. Yeah, I, I, I would be concerned about that. Uh, not because I think people are going to use my data for nefarious purposes, but because I'm not sure that I trust the AI to be inherently not nefarious. Uh, it's going to give me horizons of opportunity that it believes are right for me, and I don't necessarily even know enough to disagree but it's wrong about that yeah and i'm want to bring this back to the question quickly yeah I'll, <laughs> I'll just say quickly i'm pretty much on the same line with the mic on the on the gamification side in there because for me it sounds very scary uh i've been i be, was studying gamification at some point i'm very excited about that and in organizational development and how to use that in there and i think it's in practice one of the worst kind of things that humanity can do using the gamification on those things because it's playing with our minds in a way that humans cannot resist and giving that power for the ai is something that it sounds for me like it's a stealth terminator like like it's it's the skynet is there and and the terminators are coming but they are not made of made of steel but instead they are now pockets they are everywhere and they are not sort of destroying us by shooting us but by getting into our mind and changing our habits to work with them. And actually, that's something I think is the most dangerous things on the AI, because I love the, all the AI stuff, but, but I also really understand that, that that kind of stuff can be used 
to make it hurt as a humanity, as a humanity really bad. And so that makes me a bit scared. Yeah, it is very scary. Cause like it's almost going to be too good, right? It's going to be like too much dopamine, too much power. Um, just want to bring this back to the question quickly. So like game mechanic changes uh, with AI. So I'm wondering, I want to take it to you, Richard. I'm just wondering if you see uh, in any type of game where you see like a game mechanic change coming up with AI. Yes. Yeah, I can. Uh, one thing that I have thought a lot about, uh, do you guys remember these old games? I had a, like an old Sega at home, not the Mega Drive, the 8 bits that got first. And for that uh, console, I had a game where you were using prompts to decide where the guy should walk. Uh, and I think that, coming back to that, I think that maybe a game mechanics that could come back again. Because, because now you can, uh, and if you write the wrong prompt in that game, you know, you couldn't proceed. So you always had to write the right prompt all the time to, to, to enter next room or to solve next challenge. So I think for uh, for future games, I think, you know, coming back to the 80s and the, the, these game prompt games that were out there. Um, I think that could be something, you know, when you can you, you can just, uh, like a game mechanics that is n- almost non-existent today. I don't think there's any games that is using prompts that are super popular. But maybe that's like a game mechanics that could come back by using AI. Because then you can have, you know, a whole new world that you can uh, you can get good replies all the time. I think it will be a much more better gaming experience than these old games. I also tried to build a game in uh, Visual Basics when I was a kid, but uh, using prompts, but it was not a success. So I think I think that's that's my short answer to that uh, question. Hade. Anybody else who tried these these games with uh, text prompts? I'm, I'm guessing yes. Mike might have a lot of experience with this um, with Defion. Um, yes, we we do. So uh, I'll I'll raise four points. Um, so one of them is uh, if you try asking ChatGPT this question, it has a surprisingly coherent answer. Uh, so I won't reiterate the things that ChatGPT said, but there were a couple of thoughts I had on my own. And one was that game semantics could potentially be different for different people, and it could take advantage of what people are good at. And so in my own small way, I do this. Every new computer I go to, I install the programs that I like, I use the text editors that I like, I use the visual interfaces that I like, uh, but I have to like export my profile and import it and adapt it to every new computer. But if I started up a game, I think it's possible that it could learn from the way I interact with the game what semantics are right for me, and it could paper over some of my weaknesses, and it could instead sort of take the things I am naturally inclined to do as game controls. And I think that would be a fascinating personalization for games. Also in the sphere of personalization, in addition to having like custom difficulty metrics, the game could find the things that are most addictive for you. And so if I started playing this game, it might present me with puzzles and uh, mathematical questions and uh, solitaire games and things that I like as part of the game mechanics, but other people don't enjoy that. And so it would sort of become like Minecraft, uh, like a, a game that you know you, you get out of it whatever it is you want to get out of it. And so it could a game could become addictive by selecting the things that are personal for that user. And we certainly aspire to that. Uh, we aspire to find the mechanics that users uh, resonate with and then use those as the activities and the persuasive techniques to get them to change their life. And the fourth point I'll make is that this can justify online gaming in a way that some other games don't justify their existence because you need the backend APIs to make some of these decisions the same way that Alexa does or Siri does. And so there's a reason to say this game has to be connected to a backend service and we sell you a subscription for that service in a way that current games don't necessarily justify. So th- those were my remarks. I really like that. I really like that because it's like Minecraft it gives you the world and hopefully you stumble to the thing you love. And then I think mobile gaming already does that to an extent, right? Like if you're really bad at a level, it might help you the next time. I know they do that, but like really sophisticated version where like there's some crazy mobile games where they have like 10 different games in one and they offer you the world and hopefully you can just go down that track if that makes sense but if they can just intuitively figure that out from like tiktok where it feels like in 10 minutes it learns your whole life mm-hmm. like if you have that from a gaming point of view that sounds fascinating uh, what do you think hp like to answer your own question what do you think is going to change yeah uh 
I've also been thinking some of the things came up uh, on the on the Richards part. I think that that's something that we will see for the NPCs in the games in the future, at least to some extent. There are lots of prototypes already on using chat GPT and, and sort of voice input to talk with the NPCs and train for those. So that's that's sort of obvious thing that we will see. But what I've been, and also the content creation there. But what I've been thinking about is if we can teach the AI and ask them to be a game master. Like, for example, I'm I'm long-time role-playing gamer. And, uh, and what if I could feed the um, AI... Mm, 20 books of D&D rules and then this other rules and then and, and start discussing that I would like you to emulate a game master of those games. But I would like the rules to be changed a little bit of that. And please, here is this books about about Finnish folklore. Could you please set up the setting to be more in, in that kind of stuff? And could I make sort of sort of it the game master that could create content, could respond to the player, and as a game developer, I would provide the user interface to act with it in a way that the game is meaningful. Uh, that's something that I maybe think that, or or maybe it's a board game. Maybe you take a Carcassonne or even Monopoly or something like that and tell it to sort of emulate the game itself and becoming the rules. But then you tell that, okay, let's change it a little bit in this way. And that kind of can make, make the core rule set of the game and let the AI emulate that and... and be a storyteller in there, so to speak. I find that fascinating. Like we just saw um, Four Guys, where they have the in the last forty hours like a million levels made or what have you. But there's not like AI becoming a game master. Like I can just only imagine if you have AI testing it, run a few simulations, see what people actually enjoy. If you like, and then that sounds very exciting. Just literally as a like a consumer, it's just a lot could happen. Uh, lovely. It's time to move on to the next question, which is Ben's Ben's question. Ben, what is your question and the context behind it? Yeah, I mean, I guess um, I think probably a lot of people, you know, their heads have gone here is, is you know, AI in in the craft of game development, is it a, a disruptor? Uh, and by disruptor, I mean, is it going to replace things? Are we going to have less artists, less programmers, less designers, less animators, less sound designers, because AI is going to quite literally take their jobs? Um, or, uh, you know, is AI a, a, a signal booster? Are we going to see same team sizes as we have now and, and everyone sort of learning to use AI to make 10x, 100x, 1000x more content? So, you know, how disruptive is, do we think, uh, the rise of AI is going to be in the craft of game development as it relates to those of us who are involved in actually building these these games. I want to take this first to HP. HP, thoughts? Yeah, excellent question. And I think one question that causes lots of lots of fear amongst some of the developers. There's lots of activity towards that. I would say that it does and it does not. Uh, I think that in general, there has never been a change where in uh, technical ch- technology change or anything like that in in entertainment that the costs and budgets and and project sizes have been reduced do something new coming they have been always always increasing so so from the days when you when animations were made all by hand uh, the budgets were smaller than they are now when they are mostly done with the with the modeling and that kind of stuff which is more effective so i don't think that will ever happen but I do think that some of the jobs will disappear or change. And uh, there is currently lots of work that is sort of repetitive that you just need to be doing or sort of initial steps on some things that can be most likely automated, sort of sort of grunt work in there that, that is just need to be done. And and I think that in those positions, we do have in people in, in gaming industry as well, who are not necessarily capable to make this transformation to the new era and learn the new skills required for that. But so for them, it might be that, that they don't have long future in the gaming industry if they cannot change. But on the other hand, there will be tons of opportunities for the other persons uh, to take the place. I think the 
what is needed more is uh, is different kind of mindset, different kind of skills that we need. We need to be sort of able to describe the things and find to find a way to use this new kind of tooling and think structural ways and that kind of stuff. Think bigger picture instead of just small details. And if I get this exact polygon right in there or if I guess this exact algorithm out of my head or if the AI can tell me that okay it could be this and please check it out so I think the total number of jobs will not go down but some people will definitely lose their job if they are not able to renew themselves. Interesting Um, Richard you have experience of people actually doing that already at least using the tool right so I wanted to take this to you what do you think? Yes uh, yeah I think it's a wider question than just game development when it comes to these AI tools. Because if you look in the world, you know, we go through a huge transformation in uh, in different kind of business model. Uh, I, did a, I did an MBA last year in the field of platform economy. You know, uh, all the companies that are moving from pipeline business models to uh, to platform business models. You have the car industry, for example. They will, uh, yeah, my prediction is that they will stop selling car and start selling, you know, point A to point B services instead. It will be more like buying a flight ticket. So I think for the developers that is in game industry, I don't see that as like a unique skill. I think uh, the software industry will grow so rapidly. Uh, so what I think these tools will bring is the expectations of people. Uh, imagine you know, in the 80s when you were sending sending mail, the expectation to get a reply on a on a on a physical post uh, post mail uh, was, was was huge, you know. But today, you know, if you send that email, you expect it to be replied. The, Within an hour, if you make a phone call, you also expect somebody to answer them, and or a text is the same also. So what I think these new tools, it will just uh, the expectations on what could be created in a short point, uh, in a short amount of time, will be much much higher. So, so I think that will be the, the biggest difference, and I agree with HP. The people that does not uh, cope with these new tools will probably not have a job because they will not be relevant for the work market anymore. So I think it's it's more of of that, you know, the expectations of uh, things that are produced and and the quality will also be much higher than it has been prior to these tools. Interesting. What do you think, Mike? Mm. Um, but no, I, I don't think the amount of um, a human effort required to produce a cutting-edge game will reduce. I think the amount of effort required to do like a specific thing will be reduced. One person now can make a game that an entire studio would have struggled to put out in the 1990s. And there are lots of things that we don't do anymore. My career as a Fortran programmer is over. Like, I, I will never be employed as a Fortran programmer again. Uh, but uh, with the new tools, there's still uh, software architecture. There are still skills. There's still supervision. There's still creativity that humans have to apply. And to make uh, a cutting-edge game, uh, I think we will need that. I like the... The, the premier games that come out will still require that amount of human effort. And to do the things we're doing now will require less and less effort until one person can do it. But I think that's always been true. And I'm not sure it's specific to AI that that happens. Mm. Back to Ben. Yeah, I guess I'll just, I mean, when I wrote this question, I, I, I wrote it because I thought of a particular um, sort of, mini pattern that I inferred from my own career, which was, you know, when I started, uh, you know, the first game I worked on, the first console game that I worked on was uh, Prince of Persia, The Two Thrones for for Ubisoft. And there was a certain ratio of what we would have called, you know, 3D artists um, or modelers uh, to a technical artist. Uh, and that ratio was something like 50 to 1. So we had a singular, quote-unquote, technical artist. Uh, and then we had about 50 modelers and 3D artists. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, you know, creativity and aesthetic uh, was in the domain of the 3D artists and the modelers. And pipelines and tools and tooling and functionality and limitations and polygon counts and optimizations and all of that other technical stuff was in the domain of the tech artist. Um, and to a certain extent, ne'er the two shall meet, right? And and my suspicion is that the game teams of tomorrow uh, will still be, uh, you know, whatever, 51-odd uh, artists. So there won't be a reduction in the in the sort of average headcount. I'm generalizing here, obviously. Uh, but that distribution will shift significantly. And so all artists 
are some variant of technical artists. Of course, you will have the most technical artists, the senior technical director artist, or whatever you want to call it. But the things that used to be somewhat exclusively the purview of the tech artist will become increasingly distributed across all of the artists. Same thing with animators. All animators will become some variant of technical animators. All designers will become some variant of technical designers. Um, and, and as a result of that, combining their vision and their creativity and you know their aesthetic sense with the power of the tooling, I would imagine a, a further sort of Cambrian explosion of, of content. Um, at least that's, that's, that's what I like to imagine will happen. So uh, let me let me make a couple comments to that, Ben. Uh, one, I I do see that sort of thing. So we used to um, we used to do lip syncing by hand, and uh, the day that we got a program that would do the lip syncing automatically for us was an extremely happy day, because we could stop paying humans to do that and we could move on to something else. We wrote a program that would identify points of emphasis and recorded speech so that we could have the coach gesture for those points of emphasis. And once we turned that program on, we never went back because that was 40, 80, 120 hours a week that we didn't have to pay for a human to do that anymore. So I I think that happens and um, I think it's normal and natural and we are certainly glad of it. But we never reduced our headcount because uh, we said, oh, we have to lay off an entire department of lip syncers, right? We we were extremely happy to have that efficiency because we had so many other things to get to. The other content uh, comment I would make is content is extremely hard. That has been our biggest challenge. Writing quality content that really resonates with the user is the hardest thing that you can do. And yeah, so far humans are useful for it. However, I feel like it will become easier with ChatGPT because you have that writing partner, right? Which uh, so the ChatGPT has not made me laugh yet, not once. I'm looking forward to the day that ChatGPT makes me laugh, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it made me laugh by making a mistake, but I don't think that counts. <laughs> um, I have a couple things to say to be devil's advocate here, so I'll just Google a few headlines. IBM won't fill 7,800 jobs because they could be done by AI. And then I'm just looking at farmers, for example. Bear with me on this point because it makes sense. So since the 50s, we had around 400,000 farmers in the UK. Now it's more around like 150,000. So when you look at productivity, it actually almost doubled. So it's kind of uh, paralleled. Now, it is not apples to apples because I feel like farming is a bit more binary. We just have more food, so we need less people to make the food. Where gaming is more like we have more standards, but we still need to make the higher standard. So fair enough. But when it comes to entire gaming studios, I am less, I am more hesitant to say that we won't see any reduction in headcount because I feel like there's so much to a gaming studio. And if you're looking at it as a business, I'd fathom like we might see some very lean gaming companies come up where they can be competing with the EAs of the world, with the Rovias of the world, like thousand people businesses so like is anyone got any comments on that like i feel like there's a lot of people saying yeah we're just not going to hire and just see what happens see if we just get more productive which in a sense if they're not growing that would be a reduction in headcount right across so yeah hp thoughts yeah i think there will be a period of transformation there always is when something big happens uh, i would think that in the long term the things will even up but for sure uh, with especially big companies, there always happen that kind of things that when something changes a lot and productivity can be increased, there will be lay- layoffs and and uh, it happens at some point when the company grows big enough. Uh, also in big companies, there's always fat inside of the company. Longer the co- big company lives, uh, you get people in there who don't take care of their sort of pro- professional growth anymore. And I think these kind of situations are quite a good spots usually to spot those people and use also as an excuse to cut down the fat. After which, uh, it's it's very hard to say so, but there are, I've also worked on bigger companies, not on gaming sites as usually in smaller, but but you can find people who has been working on 
on multiple projects on last 20 years in same company and he has just been there but not doing anything productive and and bigger companies will need to do that every now and then and often it's excuse that this new thing came and now we need to put things down that plays also part in there uh, but when looking in the long term i think after the biggest sort of disruption is over the numbers will grow and i think the entertainment will be the one part and culture where the people will grow constantly when we get more food provided with better productivity pe- what people has to do go to culture or go to entertainment uh, that actually happened on the ancient greek i think with all the all the philosophists and poets and so on they had this massive technology called slavery that uh, that enabled them to focus on the on the culture and other things they just brought these slaves around elsewhere to do the productivity i think the ai might end up with the similar things we need less people to sort of maintain the core things on the on the on the sort of our our economy on and our survival and and the focus will be transferring on the on the entertainment and how we will spend our spare time and what kind of culture and entertainment we will have so yeah it could be an increase in in people in gaming then because there's like more time to spend on games so you need more people making the game so it could even be reduction some could argue maintain or actually increase so very interested to see what happens but i think we will see just uh, harry just a short comment there in in these, these huge companies when it's disruptive things coming like these ai tool sets that are coming now there will be a lot of disruption uh, and then the companies that will not adopt they will go bankrupt look at like one example i usually talk about is the digital camera when that arrive uh, have you heard about a kodak moment mm. Yeah. So back in the days, a Kodak moment was a beautiful moment in your life. You took a picture. But nowadays, when you speak about a Kodak moment, it was the board that said that digital cameras will never be popular. And that decision that they took for the company, yeah, they're not they're not here anymore. So I mean, the, so of course it will. There was a lot of layoff, layoffs for Kodak, and that will also happen for the companies that missed this disruptive. Because I think it will be huge the coming years. We're just in the starting phase. I love that, Richard. Your your Kodak moment point is so <laughs> perfectly descriptive. Like I feel like we could end right there. Like that was <laughs> so perfectly summarized the state of the union. Good good job on that. Thanks. Over to you, Mike. Before we move on to the next question. Oh, I was uh, just gonna say that um, like these technologies put more power into the hands of individual creators, so that someone who uh, is extremely creative and has a great storytelling idea, has tools at their fingertips to tell us that story. And I think we've really reaped the benefit of that in, for example, film. And I think we will reap the benefits of AI and gaming in the same way that people who have a really good idea who would not otherwise be able to bring it to us can now show us their idea. Fantastic. Lovely. Let's move on to the third question, which is from Richard. Richard? What is your question and the context behind it? Yes. Uh, so the context behind this question is that it's something that I'm f- thinking a lot about in my daily job, how to make the work that we do more efficient. So my question is, uh, how do you see AI being integrated into existing game development workflows and what impact uh, will it have on the way games are designed and tested? Right. I want to take this to Mike first, please. Right. Um <clears throat> So I do think that AI can do a lot of the Scott work for you that we're currently doing. But I, I think, um, yeah, per, perhaps the, uh, um, you know, it's occurring to me that I, I might not have a good answer. Uh, but it, it seems to me that AI can help us do a better job of exploring the corners of the behavior in our programs and, so that um, they can be more extensive, more dynamic, and better behaved. Uh, so... Like testing is a big issue. It's a big, it's a huge issue for us. Uh, and it requires a certain malevolent intelligence at the moment to do it. And I really wish we could do it more effectively. So I, I see that as a, as a potential big change in, in how we develop. Thoughts on that, Ben? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I, I, well, I would say it's safe to say that uh, every department uh you know at rovio is is at least exploring uh you know how ai can you know signal boost their work right now how the artists are working obviously how the coders are developing their features um you know all all, all of those sort of 
you know, what you typically think of as the sort of pillars of the craft of game development are looking at how, whether it be an LLL or generative, you know, generative AI tools are, can, can help them. Uh, but I think what's also really interesting, um, in, a, in a world like so, for example, in mobile gaming, um, you know, the, the question of how to find your users uh, is a, a never-ending question. It has been, you know, from the very first mobile game, and obviously, you know, it has undergone quite a few iterations in terms of, you know, performance marketing and user acquisition and all of the sort of stuff connected to that. Um you know, but the idea of using AI um, on the on the front half of the the the, the game development uh, or sort of the, the game uh, distribution process of sort of finding the right users for your game uh, is a really interesting one. Is there a world? And I don't. I genuinely genuinely don't know the answer to this question. But is there a world whereby? Um, uh, you know, sort of as as Mike was talking about earlier, you know, AI is sort of directing you to the right experience. Oh, you like puzzle games? Well, you know, here's the experience inside Minecraft you should play. Or, oh, well, you like math? Here's the experience inside Hype Hype, uh, you know, that you should play. Um, it seems, frankly, somewhat inevitable to me that a, a company like uh, Apple or Facebook or Google or, or you know, what have you, will start to get better and better and better at using the algorithms to make recommendations. And that as a player, if if that's working for me, if it's working for me, which is a huge if, I, you know, let me just reinforce that. If, you know, I have to feel value there and feel like those recommendations really are, are, are appropriate. Um, but I can absolutely see a, a lot of AI tooling being invested in that, in that, right? The discoverability question, because again, like we we talked just a few minutes ago about this this potential sort of Cambrian explosion of content, and what was sort of unsaid, but what I what I inferred was that doesn't just mean bigger games; that also means more games, right? Just more content in general. If, if more people have more leisure time and more tooling to make more content, then there's going to be more discoverability issues, more problems in finding the right content for my mindset, my mood set, my context, my screen that I'm on, etc. And uh, I, I absolutely see a world whereby AI is beneficial uh, in, in helping make that match. And of course... It could be dystopian, right? We've all seen those visions of the, you know, you're walking down the street and everything is an ad and every second of your day is nonstop crammed with people fighting for this slice of the, you know, attention economy. And and nobody wants that, right? So I, I don't mean to suggest that this is, you know, a simple problem to solve, but I do see, a, you know, a kind of potential there, right? Whereby if we can figure out the, the, the things to avoid along the way that there's something very effective in this discoverability process. And so I feel much more listened to and heard of in terms of the content offering that's brought to my attention. Do you have any thoughts on that, HP, when it comes to like the, I guess, existing game development workflows? I'm very curious about that specific part of this question. So like the designs and tested, but yeah, of course, take it as you wish. Yeah, uh, I, I think there will be lots of changes uh, and uh, we can see those already i think when the uh, i think this latest change started with the image generation tools that came and after the stable diffusion came and was sort of open for everybody to use we started to see the plugins for the photoshop and that kind of stuff things bring bring the whole whole things into into daily use for the people as well and now just last week watching the new tool set that was brought for Maya for 3D, 3D modeling and that kind of stuff and seeing how the people are working with that and actually speeding up, up the modeling process and trying different things. Uh, those are something that you can see that you can already start using those immediately and taking advantage as, as long as you... I think it's more about about getting the sort of persons familiar to use them with their tool sets already with many of those. Uh, what I'm most interested in in future that I think is that uh, now we have 
lots of these sort of wider AIs like chat chat GPTs lots on the lots on the table and we can use it on that and we can use it on that thing as well and that kind of stuff. But but I think in future we will have lots of more personally trained AIs for the companies. Like thinking about situation that you have your own IP that is not published yet, you are making the first game with it, and you would like to take advantage of the AI on creating some concepts for it, for example. So you need to be able to train your own AI set to understand what you want it to create. Uh, or maybe there is some some Unity AI system. There is actually a prototype of that existing in it as open source as well. Uh, that can help you with the unit so that you can tell that I would like to change this scene's lighting, lighting to have more volumetric lighting and maybe use that kind of that kind of scenario. And then I would like to have a script there and, and it could do all in that one surrounding and then compile with one bigger AI. I think we might be going going in that way. I really love the fact that Mike brought up the the single individual creator being able to bring their creativity now better than than ever. Uh, you can see that happening already in there. Uh, of course, currently, I think that individual creator also needs to be a gaming professional already. So he knows what to ask and how to bring the things together. One good example is, I don't know if you have uh, noticed anywhere this uh, game project called Echoes of Somewhere, uh, made by Jussi Petteri Kemppainen, uh, my friend and former co-worker. So, been following that a lot. He's doing tons of things with the AI tools that there currently exist, and it's definitely something to check out. He's also writing lots about those and sharing all his experiences about those. Uh, but I also would like to extend that individual bring the creativity for the small teams, like like our company is quite small. And you know, when you go to market, uh, on that same marketplace, there are those AAA games. And uh, the fun thing is that if you have 15 people or the 300 people working on the AAA game, the gamers will compare those. You will compare in many times compared against those. And still the more small teams sometimes comes with the great games. I think this kind of technology, when they can be early adapters, when they can amplify the things they can be doing there, uh, will be excellent for the smaller teams, because quite often they might possess the creativity to do the great things, but they don't have enough hands to do that much content that is needed. And amplifying that might be a perfect way to reach that. You cannot in, in the end extend the game to be a thousand hours to still keep interesting in some cases. But if you can extend it from 20 hours to 100 hours, it might be a remarkable difference. So yeah. I'd just love to throw my hat in the ring of of signal boosting echo echoes of somewhere i mean it it's just such a fantastic experience to watch that development process um and i i follow i follow it on twitter and it's amazing so if anyone is curious about what one person can do with ai signal boosting that it, it's probably one of the best use cases out there right now lovely uh, back to richard just to close this one out. Yes. Um, so from, from my part at, at SolarIcon, we try to you know figure out how to use these kind of uh, new uh, APIs that are coming from OpenAI. Uh, we look lock in, locked into this, you know, how to make something out of it. I think it's a bit like uh, now it's a hype as a company to work with uh, AI as a technology. One, uh, one or two years ago, it was a hype to work with blockchain. Nobody knew, knew what blockchain should be used for. I think NFTs was probably the first relevant thing. But what we have looked into at uh, so like has been you know okay what can we how can we use how can we build pipelines customize uh, the chat GPT and mid journey and Dolly features by using open APIs and tailor it for our needs. Uh, so basically, if you have like a slot machine, which is one of our core products, uh, then you could uh, create a pipeline, uh, train it, and then you know just uh, say that you have a slots uh, game and you want to have it with Egyptian theme, you can just uh, input the assets and then you output a new assets for that game. So so asset training is one thing, uh, optimizing graphics. We run a business in Africa. You know, they don't have iPhone 14 down there and they don't have a super good internet connection. So we kind of choose to go to Africa, uh, not because it was easy, but because it was hard. That was also said by John F. Kennedy when he went to the moon. Um, maybe not a big as big uh, exploration as going to the moon. But uh, then it's also not about optimization for us. We also looked into, okay, how can we build pipelines? 
uh, to OpenAI uh, to optimize the graphics uh, for the games that we're having. And then, of course, you have things like unit tests. Uh, we had one tech stack that had no unit tests. We just inputted that to uh, to ChatGPT and let them build some unit tests. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things. I, I think in our case, it's a lot about starting small. It's not about revolutioning, revolutionizing everything. I think 90% of what we will invest in this area will go to 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 the woods, but the 10% that remains will have a lot of value for us. So I think that's the approach that we have now for, for game design. I, I've actually been asking my contractors uh, about if they started using it. And I was very interested to see here that it's very divided. Some people say, yeah, useless. Some people said, oh, I'm 50% faster now. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I actually asked them why. So here's a couple of things that I thought would be interesting. So there is one studio who have figured out a way to make um, concept art like ridiculously faster using AI and then making that into actual 3D models. So that was all done through AI. It was like a custom-made tool. So that's apparently possible. Uh, and another one was on just actually writing the code. I think Mike said this earlier, like manually writing the code. If you know what you want to write, sometimes just getting that skeleton out with ChatGPT4, I think is what they were using. Uh, that just saves time. So it might not be a new idea. But I think saving time is a massive thing here. Like if it's going to make something that would take five minutes to write one minute, that's a big part of your day. And on to on the other thing is just in terms of bug finding, like literally, I write something, put it in there. Hey, improve this code. Thoughts. And then you might get one idea, which might have taken 20 minutes to figure out. You know, it might have not happened, but it's just one of. I think that is some instant use cases I can see. And I've heard this on a Tim Ferriss podcast, and I'm guessing Copilot does this as well, where you train your own data and you make it not just the internet wisdom. You just make it, for example my company's entire code base and then, oh actually let me trim back all the bad games and <laughs> just put all the top 10 performing game code bases and then be like okay now that's my chat gbt and i think that will be a big thing that will happen i don't know how you would train your code base but apparently you can do that right now and i don't think it's too expensive given that individuals are doing it uh so those are the three things i wanted to say just on what you could do like straight away pretty much uh ben yeah, i just wanted to comment on uh, sort of i guess text to 3d um harry to your to your point um you know that that does sort of seem to be like one of the next major frontiers uh i know there's a lot of you know people actively working on that there's there's a startup some of you may maybe have played with their tool called kaidem or kdem i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing it properly but they were sort of early into this space of you know you feed it a 2d image and it'll 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 generate a a, a 3d model based off of that and I know that there's some other people playing with that as well. Uh, and of course, you know, when that gets good, and it, it it seems like it's inevitable. I mean, I know it's certainly more complicated than to 2D, but it seems like that that will happen. Of course, that's going to open up a whole other set of of tooling and opportunities, right? When when artists can either text or image to 3D and get something to start from, that will cut down on some of the the modeling hours. Um, now, you know, we haven't touched the controversy around all of that, and I, I don't know if if with, that's within the scope of this discussion. Is it legal? <laughs> well, uh, you know, and is it ethical? I mean, there's there's certainly plenty of people who I, I think have a bit of um of a knee-jerk or an allergic reaction to the idea that the work of them or their friends, uh, uncredited, might have trained the models that are then being used for potentially commercial purposes. So... Uh, you know, I'm not, we're, we're not going there, but of course we could go there and spend hours talking just about that. I think on that, I think that's why, um, at least on a company level, making your own databases will be that important because you're like, hey, we wrote all of this, come at me. I don't care what law you're going to invent in 10 years time. Like this is all, we made this. I think that will be something for the future because I, I, I'd imagine you'd be able to do that in art. I'm completely talking out of my behind there. Like, I don't know if that's possible, but I'm guessing like, Stuff like that where you can get, you know, the data and you know you owned on it. I think you can get enough where that would work. But yeah, appreciate your point, Ben. Yeah, we built, uh, just a comment on that. We built, I was also part of building a data marketplace for this using blockchain. So all the annotated data, uh, it was stored what kind of data that was uh, annotated and who annotated the data. So I think that could be a really good use case for blockchain in AI space in the future to, to get transparency of the, what this uh, what is uh, the AI being trained on. Probably. Let's move on to our final question, which is Mike. 
Mike, what is your question and the context behind it? Yeah. Um, my question is, will personalization ever start feeling personal? And uh, what, what I mean by that is that um, at, at the current moment, a lot of the personalization we see is more like prediction of what you would like. And in the, um, in the animation sphere, we experience this uncanny valley where like a, a, you're interacting with something which looks like it should be photorealistic, but it's not quite right. And it really creeps people out. And we are struggling with how we can avoid that same phenomenon with a coach that talks to you. And our coach talks to you about your life and your lifestyle and important decisions you might be making. And so if our coach simultaneously is uh, perceptive and remembers what you say and is also incredibly creepy, then uh, that's going to be a fail for us. So I'm sort of professionally invested in how can we find a mechanism to, well, can we find a way that personalization feels like it's a, a personality talking to you as opposed to like somewhat uncanny? And we're in the business of making recommenders, but I, I don't like what recommenders do. Interesting. Uh, Richard, I want you to go first on this one. Well, I got the, I got the hardest one. I think this question is super hard to answer because I don't, I don't, I don't have a good answer to it. I just know that I think Ben talked about uh, that uh, ChatGPT has not made you laugh yet. I think these kind of things is important to in integrate if you're going to get a personal touch on, on different kind of application. You know, you have things that we have not solved yet, like humor, um, like uh, to be sentient. These kind of things we don't, we, it doesn't exist today. And I think to get that real experience of it being personalized, I think it has to to be able to have these things. So I don't know if I want it to be personalized that much uh, or if it's possible to do it. That's uh, when, when we have sentient AI, I think it would be scary. Then we have terminated for real the HB, I think, <laughs> or the risk of it. So uh, that's my short answer to, to a super hard question. Over to you, HP. Yeah, this was a hard question. Uh, I had to think a lot about it. Uh, I think that it's really good that you brought up the Uncanny Valley because that's exactly what I was thinking in here all the time. Uh, I was thinking in a way that uh, AI can feel really uncomfortable if it seems to know too much of you and, and uh, sort of try in everything just adjust for you, but maybe it could be more subtle. And uh, talking, talking about the Uncanny Valley, uh, I think it's actually could be a good idea to think how they tackle this in movies, how they tackle this in games, when it goes to the something looking pretty much like human, but it's not exactly there. It's well-studied thing, I think, in any case. So quite often they go away, bit away from the realism. So you might have bigger-eyed characters there for sure. Uh, mm. You might be bit non-human characters in there. Something that clearly tells you that, okay, this is not supposed to be exactly human. Because I think the whole thing is to psychological reaction for the thing that that it looks too much human, but it's not so you should be afraid of it. So something is fishy in there. So I think that maybe also in the in the personalization, you should make it in clear, be it on the words it say or anything like that, that it's not meant to be human all the time. It's not meant to be human. So there's difference. It can be your friend in here. It can help you in here. Uh, it can be that... that uh, happy little frog guy out there like in that game and help you in there because it knows lots of this thing but yeah it's not meant to be human so don't be worried it'll not be human but it still can help you on these things and it it'll still do the things that you want in there maybe the right track is actually in there and right track also in the in the behavior is to act like you would act with the uncannibality oh, that's ben. interesting um yeah i mean uh if what we're imagining literally is the the human replica in your ear, you know, and I was the one who was talking about her back in the day, right, or back an hour or so ago. So if if that's what we're talking about, then I mean, it 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 does seem to me that like you know, short of AGI, uh, short of artificial general intelligence. There's always going to be some some part of the uncanny valley that we're experiencing, right? There's going to be something wrong because 
we have, we're genetically tuned to find the mistakes, to find the problems. That's not exactly how my wife would talk to me. That's not exactly how my daughter would smile at me. So anything that's trying to do that, if it makes even the smallest, subtlest mistake, I will detect it immediately. And, and so, you know, as, as, to, to the, all of the points that all of you have raised, if what we're trying to do is digitally recreate humans, and the way that they talk and sound and intonate and express themselves, et cetera, um, that does seem like a, a, a large mountain to climb. Um, and will we get there? I mean, I just, I don't even know. I mean, is AGI a real thing? I can't even, I can't even, I have no idea. I'm so completely ill uh, prepared to, to, to have that conversation. It's, it's not worth, it's not worth me speculating. But I mean, personalization comes in a lot of forms. Um, is 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 the TikTok algorithm an effective personalization? Uh, it's certainly more recommendation uh, engine, like you were talking about, Mike. Um, uh, but it's also uncannily good, right? It's been there's I don't even know yeah. how many billions of words have been written about how good the TikTok algorithm is at making recommendations. And what's interesting to me in that is that it's not trying to speak the language of humans, right? It's not trying to speak to you in English. It's speaking to you in short form video, right? So it's a completely different language. It's a completely different beast. And in my mind, and I guess I'm just sort of reiterating something that, you know, HP just said there, but I, I think AI will probably teach us as a society these new forms of interaction. It, it's not necessarily going to be, I speak to you in English or in Mandarin or in Greek. There'll be some other form of interacting with it. And it might be really damn good at that, right? It might be really good at speaking to us in emojis or really good at speaking to us in short form video or really good at speaking to us in sound music. Uh, you know, I can't, I don't know. I, 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 I'm just speculating here. But I can imagine um, as we get increasingly comfortable interacting with AIs in a variety of different ways, whether it be an algorithmically generated feed or a series of, you know, emoji prompts, there, we might discover a new language, right? We might discover a new way of interacting with these technologies that becomes really pervasive and, and efficient. And that ends up becoming a place where, you know, to HP's point, I'm not expecting it to be human. I'm, I'm interacting with it in some novel way, and that is a really effective I interaction. Uh, I, I could see that more easily than I can see an AI audio passing the Turing test, right? Where like I close my eyes and I absolutely cannot tell if I'm speaking to a human or an AI. That that one I, I acknowledge feels uh, a little further away. Back to you, Mike. Just yeah. To close yourself. Yeah. So so these are uh, good answers. Um, I. Uh, I think HP has a, a really interesting idea about trying to ensure that you're not attempting to be too human. Uh, it's not clear to me that we've taken this advice. So uh, we do have photorealistic models and we do have humans record the prompts and uh, we focus on not using anything that would resemble artificial or sorry, general intelligence. Uh, but rather like uh, something that feels fresh, uh, but demonstrates that we care what the user said to us in the past, that they can trust us, uh, and that the user always has their own agency because we're trying to be in a coaching relationship with the user and they always need the ability to comprehend the advice we're giving and then say no everybody has the right uh to eat too many donuts and take a nap and uh, i it feels as though that's getting a reasonable response but i do think the better we get at um at talking to people and having ai talk to people uh the more relevant this question is and potentially the the more dangerous because you really only have to have one really bad experience with an AI where it's demonstrably insane uh, before you know that you have to stop trusting it. I think one thing on this I want to add, like I'm thinking in the context of TikTok as an amazing recommender, I feel like they have such a good way of finding out 
how you enjoy the content because they have like the four variables where how long you're looking at the content, how are you commenting, did you like it, did you favorite it, did you share it, did you go back to watch it? Like they can measure that to the millisecond, right? Or they can even, I don't know if this is true. I feel like it was true. Like they can check your face if you're smiling. I doubt that's true, but imagine that was a thing. But when you put that in the context of a game, they have like when you log out, did you like the, did you like your gameplay session today or did you dislike it? Like there's some of that in MMOs, but I feel like it's a lot more difficult. Um, in a mobile game, it's, I feel like a bit easier because you can kind of put guardrails and just measure the time spent measure the money spent on a certain area, then you can actually get some AI. But if you're trying to personalize a gaming experience, I feel like it's always going to be in the context of an AI character. And that person's going to try to learn how you interact with it with text. And we've seen replica girlfriends, right? And they really try to make it like, hey, this is me. I'll love you forever, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like that is just kind of going to be a bit more fringe, when, at least when it comes to games. And I feel like in a game, like ChatGPT has the kind of it tells you off right it's like yeah hey i'm ai stop treating me like i'm a human like stop that and i feel like uh gameplay characters um from an ethical standpoint i don't know if that's even the right thing to say like they should be able to do that like if you start trying to force a gameplay character to be like your home buddy uh, in a human sense you might say hey i'm just a game <laughs> like you might break the third wall and it's like hey stop that and hopefully that's where it doesn't feel too personal but if it's like learning and he says hey this is what he wants me to do. I'll start being more personal. I'll start suggesting to do things in your personal life. I think that's when it gets way too personal. Um, that's just my two cents on that one. Heavy. <laughs> um, <laughs> lovely. Um, we'll conclude there. And I really enjoyed this podcast today. Um, this has been the Evolution Gaming Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank you all, Mike, Richard, HP, and Ben. Thank you so much for your insights. And thank you everyone at home for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts or just want to chat, you can reach out to anyone at Evolution or me. Uh, I'm at Harry Foku. Foku is spelled P-H-O-K-O-U. Thank you very much.